My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. And welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Terry Montour. The project that's the focus of today's episode began as a conversation between women in the Palestinian community in Toronto and others who are part of No More Silence, a network of Indigenous women working to end the murders, violence, and disappearances faced by Indigenous women in the context of settler colonialism. No More Silence's Audrey Huntley had worked with Terry Montour before and invited her to be involved. Montour is a Mohawk woman of the Wolf Clan. She's lived in Toronto for more than 30 years and remains very connected with her home community of Six Nations of the Grand River. She is an active trade unionist and is regularly involved in activities related to land defense, decolonization, anti-racism, and missing and murdered indigenous women in both Toronto and Six Nations. The project that Huntley invited Montour to join is called Indigenous Land Defense Across Borders. Its aim is to work from an indigenous feminist perspective to engage in solidarity exchanges in which indigenous people from Turtle Island and Palestinians visit each other's territories, learn about each other's struggles, and build relationships. The goal is growing a, quote, global network for the defense of our lands against colonial confiscation, resource extraction, and forced expulsions, end quote. Both Palestinians and indigenous people on this continent face settler colonialism, albeit in different stages and forms, and they hope that by learning from and supporting each other, their respective struggles will be strengthened. An initial delegation of mostly indigenous women visited Palestine in July of this year, including Montour as well as her daughter. The delegation spent a week there, visiting the Palestinian territory of the West Bank, as well as Palestinian communities within Israel. For Montour, the visit drove home how settler colonialism works in similar ways across vastly different times and places. Many of the things being done by the Israeli state today in Palestine, in terms of home demolitions, land confiscation, regular state violence, and violence and encroachment by settlers, vividly evoked for Montour earlier periods of the Haudenosaunee experience of settler colonialism in North America, particularly in the mid-1800s. At the same time, of course, though the context has changed, different forms of very similar harms are still central to settler colonialism in Canada. From the ongoing need for indigenous land defense actions across the continent, to the continued targeting of indigenous women and girls for violence, to the tragic cases just this year in which the Canadian legal system excused the murders of Cree teen Colton Bushy and Haudenosaunee man John Styers by white men. The trip also involved mutual sharing of experiences of resistance. This included their respective efforts to understand and push back against the gendered and sexual violence that is inherent to settler colonialism. It included, for Montour, visiting an agricultural co-op in the Jordan Valley that was an inspiring example of economic self-sufficiency and presence on the land, which she sees as a promising model for Six Nations to use on land reclaimed by the community in recent years at the so-called Douglas Creek Estates. 
It included learning about resistance in the city of Akka, where Israeli efforts had attempted to take a Palestinian woman's home in order to enable beachfront commercial development, but popular mobilization by the Palestinian community in the city were successful in defending her and keeping her in her home. And it involved Montour and the other women traveling with her, offering examples from their own people's long histories of resistance. The next step for the project will be to bring a delegation of Palestinians living in Canada to Six Nations, again for dialogue, learning, and relationship building. A little farther down the road, they hope that some of the women they met in Palestine can also visit, with more solidarity exchanges in both directions envisioned for later on. I speak with Montour about settler colonialism on this continent and in Palestine, about her visit to Palestine, and about her experience so far of building relationships and solidarity with Palestinians. My name is Terry Montour. I'm a member of the Mohawk Nation Wolf Clan at Six Nations of the Grand River. That's my home community. My entire family is still there. I go there quite frequently. But I've lived in Toronto since about 1983. I actually got started with Indigenous Defence Across Borders because I know Audrey Huntley and have volunteered for No More Silence on several occasions. We talk a lot about like looking at the work of Indigenous land defence, decolonization in my work as a union rep. So I'm very interested in like decolonial activities, not only in the labour movement, but in wider society. Did a lot of organizing during I don't know or that kind of thing. Have been really active in stuff going on on my reserve, which included the justice for John Styers after the recent decision that came down in which a white man was acquitted of murdering a member from our reserve. So I've been doing a lot of that kind of thing for, you know, years. And so Audrey was like, hey, I'm really interested in bringing a group of people to do this exchange with Palestinians in Palestine who are trying to do resistance work. And because she knows my political analysis and all of that, we thought that I would be a good fit. And then my daughter, who is a student at McMaster, she is still an undergrad in Indigenous Studies and Gender Studies. My daughter has been very active in Palestinian support and the BDS movement in her school. During the town hall that Trudeau did last year at McMaster, she and her comrades made a banner that said, from Six Nations to Palestine, colonization is a crime, and hung it behind the prime minister. <laughs> so we all decided that, you know what, in understanding federal colonialism and how you deal with it, it's really important to like look at what other people are doing around those issues, right? So Palestine's a perfect place right now because the colonial project there is relatively new. It's only been, I guess, 60 years at this point. And so it's really interesting to look at what's going on there and draw the parallels to the colonization of North America. I really do feel that we as Indigenous people have a lot to offer Palestinians in trying to figure out a way to resist the ongoing settler colonialization of their land, because that kind of colonization is not just about land, it's also about culture and how a country operates. There's a lot of things that we know that happened to us that we can watch happen to the Palestinians as well. Tell me more about how this project got started, where it came from. Audrey was approached specifically by Linda Taber and Chani Desai, who are kind of like our Palestinian counterparts. Chani, she's a prof now at U of T. She's been very active in the BDS movement and also around organizing disparate groups of people in order to have the linkages between North America and Palestine. 
So she was one of the people who was really, really instrumental in going, we should do this. We should be looking at exchanges in a way of of having kind of a, an exchange, right? Specifically from an Indigenous feminist lens. We didn't want to come in with a group of people with the colonized approach to going on a trip to Palestine with all of its like overtones of religious stuff and things like that. But we wanted people who were going to be looking at the colonial realities. And Chani knew Audrey, who is the head of No More Silence, and approached her. So then Audrey was like, let's think about people to take. So I believe the way that they got the trip organized was we got a grant so that we could send not only myself and Audrey and my daughter, but also Doreen Silversmith, who is a longtime land defender, not only at Six Nations, but other struggles around the country, and who also is a organizer and what I call counselor at Camp Sis, which is a traditional encampment for Indigenous women who are fleeing abuse. We really wanted to center women's realities under settler colonialism as our focus so that when we went to Palestine and Israel, we could see like the intersection of these things and what's going on with these various groups and how to build the links. We've got a kind of a parallel history here around how do you deal with complete dispossession, not only of your land, but also what happens to you in the wake of that and your culture. And how do you hold on to your culture, your sense of yourself as a nation, and all of those things. So we really wanted to focus our attention on that kind of situation where you've got a group of women talking to other women about how do we resist and not only resist the settler colonial state, but like the incursions onto your traditional values and cultural practices. And expand a bit for listeners on what it means to be thinking through all of these questions, specifically with an Indigenous feminist lens. Well, I think that in a lot of ways, it also forced us to look at the history of our own colonization. I mean, for a lot of us in Indian country, we are very practiced at understanding our own histories. We wanted to really look at it from almost like a practical, pragmatic way, like what happens to people? We can give you some ideas of what happened and is continuing to happen to us so that maybe you can recognize this. Because once we were in Palestine and heard some of the stories that were going on, I turned to Doreen at one point and said, this is like us in the 1840s. What's happening to them with the concerted land grabs, the constant surveillance, the limiting of services is something that happened to us. And then we started to look at settler colonialism kind of has a playbook. It has similar tactics around the world, and it's really important for people who have undergone that to be able to talk to people who are having it now so that they know what to look out for. But also, because our work is around defense of Indigenous women, because we are so tied to the land, we wanted to see what the experience for Palestinian women has been. But given that they come out of mostly a patriarchal tradition, how has that impacted them? I come from a point of privilege in a lot of ways because Haudenosaunee people are matriarchal. So we have always had the women be the leaders of our resistance and our resurgence. And it's kind of a different way of looking at things. So I think that part of the focus was also to see that, yes, women can lead and women have ideas that actually might be useful because settler colonialism does not expect women to be in the lead. Settler colonialism is very patriarchal in its approach. So we really want to look at what's the alternative to that, because it's going to take alternatives in order to fight back. 
because it's kind of like judo. You don't want to bring more violence down on you. Is there a way that we can talk about these issues that are nonviolent, number one, and also look at a different way of reframing the struggle? So we just really wanted the focus to be on an Indigenous feminist framework that's kind of like as natural as breathing to Haudenosaunee people, which me, my daughter, and Doreen are. Audrey's not. Audrey's part Cree. So her framework is a little different, but she is a very staunch feminist as well. So it was a really interesting experience in order to bring how we do things and how our resistance is built at Six Nations and other Haudenosaunee territories and try and show people that there is an alternative to business as usual. So we really wanted to like really look at all these things. Like, how do we change the narrative on the oppression that happens because of settler colonialism? I mean, it sounds really abstract, but when you actually start talking to people and finding out what they were up to, the kinds of things that they were doing and the kinds of tactics and struggles that they had, it was really interesting to apply that Indigenous feminist lens and say, you know, what? Well, what did you, did you try this? What about that? So it was really fun to look at it from a different point of view. When did the trip happen? We went the week of July 9th of this year. We only went for a week, basically, because that's all we could afford. (laughs) But we also thought that this would give us time to go into a lot of what's happening on the ground in Palestine. So we were in Ramallah. We stayed there for three days. We also journeyed up and through the Jordan Valley and down into Jericho. And then after that, we went up to Haifa and Akka. And at one point on the Wednesday, we were able to go to Al-Halil. And I have to say that day was really hard because we also visited the sites of several recent home demolitions. Uh, And to clarify for listeners, these are instances where the Israeli state destroys the homes of Palestinians under a range of pretexts as part of the settler colonial process. And for me, as a Haudenosaunee citizen, I was really reminded of the kinds of things that happened to us in the late 1700s and the early 1800s when we were purposely burned out of our territory by the Sullivan campaign that the Americans did, and then later on by settlers here in Canada who would come and encroach on our territory by chopping down all of our trees, raiding our cornfields, and killing people. I always tell people that, and most Canadians are like, what? That didn't happen. But we have really good records at Six Nations, and there are several instances where settlers came onto our territory and burned us out and burned our homes. So this idea of encroachment by burning down or otherwise eliminating or obliterating the Indigenous presence is a constant feature of settler colonialism. When you're confronted with how these things work and you watch them and you see this sort of thing in your own history, that's when I really realized settler colonialism uses the same tactics. These are constant common tactics of how a settler colonial project happens. That was, for me, the concrete evidence of things that I have known personally, but also had been thinking and talking about with a lot of my friends and comrades. And that was actually kind of revelatory. (laughs) The understanding that settler colonialism is actually a project and operates much the same way around the world. Tell me about the people and the groups that you met with while you were there. Oh, they were fantastic. The first place that we went to in the Jordan Valley was a community called Al-Aqsa. And in Arabic, it means the obstacle. This was the place where I really want to adopt their method of resistance into things that we're doing at Six Nations. One of the things that they're doing is 
despite the constant threat of being shut down, their water's constantly stolen. They have essentially an agricultural co-op where they grow their own food. The women of the village make teas and other herbal preparations and jewelry and things that they sell. It's quite a commercial success. And it means that their operation is self-sufficient. They're hoping to educate some of their kids in like water reclamation and they want to rebuild homes for their burgeoning population, utilizing modern materials, but with their traditional building methods. So it was a fascinating thing around how you can continue your life in a way that's true to your own values and traditions in a modern way and just completely ignore the settler colonial project around you. I found that piece really, really instructive. And I've been talking to a group of women at Six Nations about that's the kind of thing we should be doing on the reclaimed lands at Gnonstanon, which is the Douglas Creek estate. Uh, this is a reference to land that was taken from Six Nations in the 19th century that has been subject to a very active reclamation struggle in the last 15 years by many Haudenosaunee people and their allies. Where we would do traditional agricultural practices and sell it. Why not, right? Like, I mean, we're utilizing the land in our own traditions. We're staving off economic and food insecurity. And we are practicing traditions and cultural values in a way that continues despite the weight of a federal colonial government on top of us. So I found that extremely illuminating. The other thing that we did, we went to El Halil, Hebron, and met a remarkable woman named Zulika. I can't remember her last name, but she is the director of a group of women. She's kind of taken them in hand because these are women who have lost their husbands, their fathers, and their sons to the Israeli carceral system. They have a little cafe. She had childcare and early childhood education system in through here. It was basically women looking after women in a way that not only retains the strength of their cultural traditions, but empowers the women to look after themselves in a way that they're not really have been done in the past. Because when the men get incarcerated in Palestine, that's pretty much it. Like the men are usually the main breadwinners. And if a man gets incarcerated, his family really suffers. So Zalika's little cafe was providing women with the ability to look after themselves and also operate as kind of like a co-op so that they didn't have to suffer the depredations of having the men be in jail all the time. So that was a really useful piece, too, around resistance in a gender-centered way. The energy and the strength of these women was incredible. Plus, their food was fantastic. <laughs> that was the other thing that I really, really loved about being there. Was they looked after us so well. We were so hosted in a way that like, I really got into that Palestinian style of culture in that there's a strong sense of like when you come there, they're going to host you. We also spent some time in Jerusalem with a woman's group, and they were telling us how they support many of the women because Jerusalem is actually a really hard city to be in. I was actually shocked at the open carry that the Israeli settlers actually will and do enforce. We were in the eastern gate into the market, the Islamic market part of old Jerusalem, and there were several families of settlers there walking around with open Uzis, essentially strapped over their shoulders. And at one point I watched as a young man, probably about the age of my own son, around 24, pick up his rifle and point it at a family of Palestinians who were just walking past him. And to me, that that arrogance, that just like, you know what, if I wanted to squeeze this trigger, I would and kill that five-year-old that was standing there with his mother, that, that naked arrogance in that minute 
really made me like froth. It was like, holy sh**. This is a place where you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, you could be dead. As much as we'd like to think that that's not the case in Canada, we very well know that is because we just had a young man on my own reserve killed because apparently he tried to steal a car or Colton Bushy in Saskatchewan. It is the same thing. We are undergoing the same kinds of struggles. They're absolutely connected. Then once we were in Haifa and Aka, one of our hosts was Salonista. It's an organization that has established itself as a small feminist organization looking into the history of what happened during the Nakba, during the occupation of 48. Uh, Nakba is the Arabic word for catastrophe, which is what Palestinians call the wave of violence and ethnic cleansing by the incipient Israeli state that took place in 1948. Because they're uncovering the element of sexual violence that happened. So they've been going through a lot of the archival stuff where there were several Israeli soldiers court-martialed for horrific sexual violence things. And we talked a little bit about that because the experience for Indigenous people is that that piece is ongoing. We know that there may be an official count of about 1,800 missing and murdered women in Canada since the 1980, but we know anecdotally that that number may be much higher. And given the small population of Indigenous people in Canada compared to the settlers, it's an ongoing crisis and it is designed as a genocidal side project of settler colonialism. You know, you get rid of the women, you don't have to worry about little Indian babies anymore. So we were like, you've got to really watch those sorts of things. In Haifa and Aka, we went and visited some people who have had great success in trying to resist the encroachment. And one case was in Aka where a woman who her family had been living in the same house for 50 years was bought from underneath her by an Israeli businessman who wanted to develop this beautiful stretch right along the beach on Haifa into this luxury hotel and resort. And this woman's been living there with her family for 50 years. And when she tried to pay the mortgage, they said that she had defaulted. And that's why they were going to repossess her home. The people in the city really responded, like the Palestinians left in Aqqa, rallied around her and essentially occupied her home for a three-week period. At one point, they had 5,000 people in around the grounds and in the town basically saying, you, if you want to bulldoze this home and bulldoze this woman out of her place, you have to go through us. It took about three months of this constant occupation, but then the Israeli businessman backed down and returned the title to her. So there are things that can be done that confound the settler colonial project. And it was really useful to learn from people who are undergoing this, what works and what doesn't. So I'm very, very energized by some of the things that we saw there. So I understand that you recently had a report back kind of public event in Toronto talking about the trip. Tell me how that went. We were actually shocked and surprised to see it was kind of standing room only. The original room that we had booked, basically there was no way we could accommodate all the people. So it was really great to see that the community was really interested in this kind of exchange because I don't think it's really been dealt with before. Like I don't think that there's been this kind of delegation. And what are the group's future plans for continuing this work of building solidarity? Doreen and I are going to present to the clan mothers at Six Nations. There's been a couple of things that have happened at Six Nations, so we haven't been able to do that. What we want to do, though, is present to them about what happened to us, because we need the clan mothers to be forthcoming and welcoming when we bring a delegation of Palestinians down there. We don't think we're going to be able to do that until the middle of December. 
Our plan is to bring a delegation of expatriate Palestinians living here in Toronto down to Six Nations to see what we're doing. And then we want to sit down and think of the delegation of the Palestinian people that we met and bring them back to our territories and see what we're doing here. Because that's probably not going to be a project until next year. We just don't have the capacity at this time. But that's what we want to do. My daughter is finishing up her undergrad, but she'd like to do some work in terms of understanding violence in a settler colonial context against women. She's thinking about going back and studying under Linda Tabor, not next year, but in 2020. She's hoping to spend six months with Linda at the university in Ramallah. Beyond the immediate work that you and your group intend to do, how in broader terms would you like to see solidarity between Indigenous peoples on Turtle Island and Palestinians develop? Well, I'd like for us to like support each other however we can. And one of the things, like we were talking a lot about the BDS movement, and I said to them, unfortunately, you're talking to a group of people who have been deliberately impoverished by the state, right? We do not have money in Indian country. This is a reality that Canadians do not understand. We have been deliberately kept impoverished so that we cannot get the kind of easy money that's available to a lot of organizations in Canada. We have so many other issues around even just access to things. How do we even expect to like be able to give money to the BDS movement? We don't have any. So we have to be creative in how we can support. And right now that's going to have to be in supporting Palestinian endeavors and things with our own bodies, right? Like, because that's all we can do at this time. I do think that even for a lot of indigenous people, the West has swallowed the propaganda that the Israelis give us for very far long. When I started talking to a lot of my friends and family about going on this trip, they were like, (gasps) you're going to get shot. What's going to happen? You know, like there was all this fear that we were going to get taken hostage and all this ridiculous that can only be traced back to the propaganda that the Western media puts on Palestine. And after being there, I can categorically tell you that everything that I thought to be true about the place is wrong. So I think that that's some of the work that we can do on this side of the ocean, telling people that that is propaganda and that the real truth is that these are people who are suffering under the yoke of an oppressive settler colonial project. And when you put it in terms like that, that other Indigenous people can understand, suddenly they get it. So that's the work that we're going to be doing in the next little while is just basically telling people, this was our experience. It's exactly what's gone on here. This is where they are in terms of their colonialism. They're constantly under the worst period in Canadian history, which for us was around the period of 1840 up until the establishment of the Canadian state. So for Six Nations, that was when our people were being murdered, our crops were being burned, our trees were being cut down, all of our land was being taken, and that's what's going on with Palestinians right now. So when you see those parallel things going on and you can explain them to Indigenous people, suddenly they get it and then they know that there's a support here that has to happen. You have been listening to my interview with Terry Montour of Indigenous Land Defense Across Borders. To learn more about their work, search for them on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists published by Fernwood Publishing. 
Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 